0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Welcome to Blue Mountain Village Voices.
0: I'm your host, Andrew Sigwart. Joining me for a great conversation is Gemma Mendez-Smith, Executive Director of the Four-County Labor Market Planning Board. Gemma has spent more than 20 years serving our community, helping employers grow and helping people find great, meaningful work. I've had the pleasure of working with Gemma on our labor supply task force and a number of other community initiatives. She's a dynamic community leader and a true champion of developing others. In this episode, Gemma and I talk about the South Georgian Bay labor market, the importance of hiring newcomers, how COVID 19 has impacted women and primary care providers in our community and how hiring people who need a chance can be one of the best strategies for recovery. While we talk a little bit about some recent data that the four County Labor Market Planning Board has shared, I think what's most important about this conversation are the stories that the data represents, and Gemma does a really good job of telling those stories and sharing with us the insights that she has. So go ahead, grab yourself a cup of coffee, or turn up the radio in your car and enjoy this episode
1: but uh, yeah it's it's really interesting um how our i don't even know i do know how i got here andrew but it was never on my radar so that's that's really interesting but
0: that's for sure i think that's something we can talk about and i think a lot of people especially when you're younger you feel like you have to have this defined path and there's this like plan. And oftentimes it's more than that. It's an idea, but it's also uh, moving with the tide, learning as you go, continuous learning and seizing opportunities, right?
1: I think one of the biggest things I always look for, some, if I'm hiring someone or I am talking to someone, my children, <laughs> I always look for coachability. Are mm-hmm. you coachable? And I think if people remain coachable, like all through their lives, it's, it's, it's based on that continuous learning concept as well. You hear things from others that you would not have necessarily thought of for yourself. And and that that's what happened with me. You know, being in this position, I was open to somebody saying something and doing the things that would lead me to that something and then ending up here and never really having a path that I was. My daughter has a path laid out. She, things are falling into place. She's making things happen for that path she's laid out. But but many of us And it didn't start off as the path she knew she wanted. It developed over a few years, but uh, she's got that path laid out. And uh, so she's very specific about the jobs she takes and it has to lead to this thing. Whereas some, most of us, it just happens on us. You know, it just like I was going in that direction and then someone said something and I kind of landed over here. And wow, this is pretty cool. And I'm, I'm really excited about what I'm doing now, but never thought about it as a career this thing as a career right
0: i wonder i have a i have a theory that it's a gen x cohort dynamic Mm. and that we kind of came of age at a time when there was a lot of economic shifts a lot of disruption in the in the economy and we came of age at a time when we were told it's going to be hard to get a job you're going to have to be flexible Mm. and adaptable and i think we were masters at at pivoting and adapting. And I think, you know, boomers before us had clearer paths. And I think the younger generation is benefiting from a, a bit of a different dynamic as well. So
1: yes, no, that makes sense. I because, wonder,
0: cause that's, my path is exactly like that. 100% yeah. <laughs> the same. Yeah.
1: Yep. Somebody saw something, they said something and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. let's give that a try. Because really when I was the age where everybody asks, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I thought, I thought I wanted to be a nurse. And in, I was very fortunate in when I went to school, I did my uh, a secondary, you know, primary and secondary schooling in Trinidad and Tobago. And I was very, very fortunate. It was the only school that existed at, of its kind at that time. And my parents sent me there. And it's a, it was an education, uh, educational and vocational school. It was all girls. And we had to kind of, decide what we wanted to do before we left. And uh, we were given co-op opportunities. It was the only school that was doing that. So every girl in that school, it was, it was a Catholic convent, and every girl in that school had to do um, go to work in a grocery store. And we did everything in that grocery store.
0: Oh, amazing!
1: And uh, so we would do packing of shelves. We would take in the stock. We would work in the meat room. We would be cashiers. Everything. And then when we were done with that, and we did that over the summer. And when we were done with that, we went back to school. The next break, we were um, the next summer break. We all had to do a skill trade. Oh, fascinating. So,
0: so, What was your skill trade?
1: It was a partnership between the army and the school. So this big army bus would come and take us all and we would go down to the barracks and we would do our training. I got in late on the, um, you know, on the inventory of things to do. And I ended up doing auto body repair.
0: Wow. Yes. (laughs) That is like my dream
1: really? So I I was like, I really wanted to do like woodworking or auto mechanics is what I really wanted to do, but I didn't get in fast enough. And so I landed in this auto body repair, but I learned how to weld Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, take all the rusted parts off and put new metal on. And, and then I, I did, I did the filler. So back then it was the, the, um, you did everything by hand, right? So you would put the filler on, let it dry, hand sand it, you know, down to to, to smooth, then you'd paint and all. So we did everything. And at the end of that, it was uh, so the summer and on um, our Independence Day in Trinidad is August 31st. So on August 31st, there was the jeep, the army jeep Mm -hmm. that that was open. And uh, the uh, president of the country was standing on that. And it was the one that I worked on to help paint and get ready. It was so exciting. So um, so then I did that. And then the third year of school, because we in Trinidad, depending on when you write your major exams and stuff, I was done high school at 16. And so we had to choose where we wanted to go. And I thought, okay, I want to do nursing. And it was then the traditional careers. It was the traditional careers of you worked in the bank, you did clerical, you did, uh, child, you know, nursing or something like that. So I really thought that nursing was it for me. And so I did a co op in two nursing homes, a maternity nursing home and a regular private nursing home. And so I did everything. I was, I I guess what you would call in today's terms a PSW. So we did all of that work. We helped with the patients and everything. And it's really what I wanted to do. But then I was... um, Trinidad. I didn't see myself having opportunities. And uh, my uncle invited me to Canada. And I thought, yep, I got nothing to lose. So I'm I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) So my parents and I, we worked at a deal where I was going to come for one year and uh, be in Canada for one year. And now uh, 34 years later... (laughs) I'm still here, but, uh, yeah. And it was just well, you know what though, it wasn't successful at the beginning. When I came, I had lots of issues and lots of obstacles and my mom, she I was out of touch for a long time because I'm the person if I'm struggling you won't know but you'll hear from me when things are going great of course parents don't care about that so anyway I called my parents when things seemed to have settled and they were like oh we're so worried about you and and I knew what they were gonna say and that's why I didn't call because my mom said well you know you can always come back home and I was like Yeah. mm -mm. I was already here for about two years. I thought if I go back now, that's two years of my life wasted, and I go back with nothing not going to happen. So uh, and that's why I called when things were going on the upswing, because if it was still down, I might've said, yeah, I think I want to come home. Right. And uh, so that was it. And then I stayed and uh, became a permanent resident and got married and we made our lives here. But it's really interesting. My, my first thought was I'm going to be in Canada for one year. That's it. I'm going back to Trinidad and, uh, you know, life changed. And I'm really glad I had the mentors that I did through through the years that I've been in Canada because I've had some, not many, but amazing mentors.
0: And what, what kind of spheres were those mentors? Were they were they friends? Was it in in the career space?
1: Mm, I think career because so first of all, when I fr- I got the, the the position as a nanny, that really stuck. So I had about three positions that didn't work out. They were. T- terrible. And I was just about to give up hope. And uh, I met this woman. She interviewed me and she said, um, okay, so I need your references. And I was like, Oh, don't have any good ones to give you. And she said, it's okay. You tell me, you give me the names and I'm used to sussing out whether it's a personality thing or it's an incompetence thing. Right. And so right. she called me back and gave me the job and trusted me with her only child. <laughs> and uh, I worked for her for uh, a year and a half. And I only left when I was planning to get married and I had applied for permanent residency. It was really interesting. It was a different relationship. She and the mentoring was more around um, you're part of our family. And uh, she would give me the car because part of that whole process, I had to go to school. So in the evening I had classes after work and she would say to me, not every day. I mean, when I, you know, take the car, you, you know, get to school, come back. When I came back from school, uh, there was dinner. If I didn't have dinner before I left, it was in the fridge, you know, that kind of, it was, we were a family and, yeah. uh, and that really kind of I was able to do the things that I needed to do to move forward. And then um, I went to work at a major university in Waterloo after I got married. And um, I always wanted to do different things. So every time an opportunity came up, it's like, oh, yeah, I'll try that. And I'll try that. And I'll try that. But this last opportunity that came up about almost 20 years ago now, uh, I just needed something closer to home, Andrew. It was like, yeah, it was just, I just need something close to home. I have three young children. I'm getting home when it's dark and I'm leaving when it's dark because I'm driving so far to get to work. And the, the position came up. I applied with no, with no hopes of anything. Just let's give it a shot. And my father-in-law, he had faxed in my application for me. And uh, he called, he, two weeks later, I saw him and he's like, so how did it go? Did you hear back? I was like, Nothing. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And uh, I think a couple of days later, I got the call. You have the interview. 85 people, Andrew, applied for that position. Wow. And uh, I got the call. And it was funny. I got the call on Friday. And she said, You know, we want to offer you the position, take the weekend to think about it. And I'm like, Nope, don't need to think about it. The answer is yes. And she's like, But, you know, is it okay with your fam? Blah, blah. Nope, I don't even need to talk to my husband about it. It's good. We're done. <laughs> and um,
0: and was that uh, was that out of a market at the time? Like, were you living? Where were you living, and where so, did you take uh, that? We job? were
1: living in Bruce County, and the job was in Bruce okay. County because I was working an hour and a half one way before, right. and it was just so like a lot oh, of people go through yes. that
0: for sure. And
1: so, of course, I was willing to do it, but uh, I was so grateful. I remember the first day driving home in September from this job, and it was starting to get dark, and I was like, my home, I could still see it before before i got home and it was it was so exciting but she gave me a chance out of 85 people i had no idea about the the industry i had no clue that this kind of organization existed right
0: and the transformative role it plays in connecting people and supporting people and you know it's interesting Gemma, because you you've talked about how you had mentors who've helped you give you guidance Uh, show you the level of trust that they had in you, give you advice. And here you are now, many years later, in a different capacity, but you're paying it forward by uh, supporting a labor force with that same kind of guidance and support. It must feel really good.
1: Good point, Andrew. Because remember how I said I wanted to be a nurse? Yeah. And I've been doing a lot of thinking in the last few years about, is it the career or is it the feeling you get when you do the job, the thing, right? Right.
0: That's right.
1: My husband also does uh, co- coaching, and so he has a program called Flipping the Iceberg, and it's about tapping into your true potential. Mm. And I realized after that it wasn't about being a nurse; it was about the feeling of helping someone, guiding someone, and having them find their way. and And the nursing could have been back to good health, or you know, something like that. But but you're absolutely right. This career, which I never knew existed, is leading me in that same kind of outcome and the feeling of satisfaction when, whether somebody remembers it was us or the work that we did, but it's something that helps someone get on a path that they go, wow, I never knew I could have succeeded like this.
0: Yeah, it's rewarding. And I, and I think that those are the ingredients And formative experiences that actually create great advocates. And I would say, Mm -hmm. you know, in our region, Gemma, you're, you're one of a, one of a handful of really strong and passionate advocates for, for support and development and for people. And for people to uh, improve and grow and find opportunity. And I think they're they're really important parts of what make an economy successful. And and you bring such a passion to that. And I think your advocacy, you know, just a little bit about your history, I can understand that a little more, you know, and I can relate to it. When I was very young, uh, I grew up in Thunder Bay, Northwestern Ontario. Mm -hmm. I took typical Gen X mentality. I decided that I was going to take a break from school. I was going to move out West with some friends. And uh, we moved to Calgary, a group of us, and I got a job working in a gas station. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I made five fifty dollars an hour at that time. I just decided to do something totally different. I was a little not... I didn't quite have my path figured out yet. And I had a manager who was really good to me. Mm-hmm. And he saw some skills in me that I didn't even see in myself. And he said, you know, Andrew, I've got this nighttime night audit kind of job. And uh, I think you should learn and learn from our accountant. And and so he taught me how to do some bookkeeping for the organization, got me working at a couple of locations, helped me see that I had the potential to be a coach and a trainer because I was just naturally providing that to my colleagues. And mm-hmm. so I ended up working for Petra Canada head office, training other people working in gas stations. If it wasn't for him, I would never have found those skills and the, those uh, those opportunities. And for me, I started working in the service sector, which is quite undervalued, uh, even to this day. And what I found was the service sector and the people who worked in it actually shaped me and helped me get confidence, find a path, support me, and uh, my career path came from there. So I think you know when i look at the advocacy work i do around attainable housing yep. or or support for our workforce it's because i know i wouldn't be where i am today if i didn't have those people in my community help me so i think that's what drives me at the end of the day it's 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 less the task at hand and it's more the coaching and guidance i received many years ago you know
1: yeah yeah i think i think it's so true i know um the one person that i can name she was the executive director who hired me here and i remember the first within my first couple of weeks, uh, she looked at me and she said, I can see you being the face of this organization. Andrew, I was hired as the administrative assistant. Right. And here's this executive director saying this to me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Right. And, and then she starts to, you know, I think you need to take this course. And I think you need to take this course and uh, the organization invested in me. And I invested in myself and my heart and my husband was amazing. Cause we had three young children and I have to go away for school a week at a time. And so parenting, and I'm off for the whole week. Like I'm off site for the whole week. Wow. Right. And she is, and she's just encouraging me and he's there saying, do what you've got to do. I've got this. And we're working as a team because together we're all succeeding. And then, um, I get the job and I'm like, I don't think I'm ready for this. Like, this is no, 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 no. What are you people doing? And then the minute, and and again, he said to me, he said, listen, you are in this position, whether you like it or not. Now do it to your best of your ability. Learn what you need to learn. Do what you need to do. And he was, so he's also an amazing coach, always behind me saying the things when I, when I lose my confidence a little bit, Mm -hmm. it's about, you can do this. Just learn what you need to do. And, right. uh, and and right and so anyone, I, I think one of the things that people need to understand is sometimes someone's pushing you outside of your comfort zone. And it's for your own
0: good. That's right. And you need it. You, you need, need people it. who you trust, who can yes. be honest with you. And you need yeah. to challenge yourself to be vulnerable, to say, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to take yes. it in. Yeah. And it takes time. It takes time. I It's one of the things I've learned even through, you know, this, this past year of COVID, you know, I still have lessons to learn in that yes. in terms of opening up, listening and challenging myself. And I think, you know, if, if we can do that for ourselves and we have that support system around us, that's, you know, part of what, what makes it successful, right?
1: Yeah, Yep. yep. No, no, it's, it's amazing. Coaching coaches in your lives need to be like put on this, well, not a pedestal, but you know what I mean? The value that a coach brings to us in our lives. It's um, and, you know, even if I think if you were to say something to me negative, Andrew, and I would the first thing I would think about is what part of that is true and what do I need to learn from that statement?
0: Yeah. And,
1: and, and, rather than saying, Oh, Andrew's just on something today. He's just not feeling, what, what where is that coming yeah. from? It, I always try to look at it from what am I, what have I done to, to create that reaction or that response from someone? Um, and is that something I need to fix? Because if I focus on fixing the, the, the parts of me that um, and I'm not talking about fixing in the world of Andrew, it's fixing in the world of me. Can I be a better person?
0: Right. Right. Yeah.
1: And yeah. how do I use the information I get and uh, make me a better person? I think we will always be happy, content and really um, feeling really good about ourselves because we know that our comparison is always to me. I don't have to compare myself to you. um, Because if I do that, Andrew, I'll be thinking, Andrew's on CBC. He's doing this. Now he's doing a podcast. Why can't I be doing those things rather than going, this is great, Andrew. That is so awesome for you. What, what do I need to do in my world? Right. That's right. To to do to be as excellent as you are in yours, and um, that's where the coaching comes in, and really opening and listening and and learning from others,
0: and being open to hearing from others and asking others for that kind of feedback. And it's so easy to isolate yourself, and I think that's one of my biggest worries in in terms of where we are now. Is so many people uh, are under so much pressure that you kind of start Mm -hmm. to shut. Your ears and close your eyes a little bit. And I think now's the time to lean in and get as much of that feedback as possible, even when it's difficult. And that's, yes. that's, I think what we're all kind of struggling with right now. Let me ask you a question as it relates to uh, the team that you lead now. So how yes. do you take all of these learnings and experience and, and how do you, how do you deploy that in, in leading the team that you, you support today?
1: Oh boy, I, I, I'm so glad I do use it because that would have been a tough question. <laughs> um, one of the things that I, I really look at is giving people chances. And I mm. think that stems from the fact that I've been given many chances and I, and this is where I landed. And what I mean by that is that as an employer, I have hired, we have hired people with no experience in our field at all. I We recently hired, in the last Round of hiring, we hired somebody who was in Canada, who just landed in Canada a month before or a couple of months before we hired them. Wow. And I looked at the resume first of all, and it was I was looking for somebody with very particular skills. They needed attention to detail and, and some a few other things. And I looked at their resume, their past experience. And while I knew the name of the company didn't exist in Canada, I looked at what they would have had to do in that job. And I knew that they would bring those skills that I was looking for. And as I looked deeper, this is really interesting, Andrew, as I looked so right, I've got them on the short list. Now we're getting ready for interviews. And I looked at the resume one more time, just to be sure that this, you know, I really do want to interview this person. And the person was from Trinidad and Tobago, which is where I'm from. Right. And I thought, What are the odds? So then I was like, okay, I've got to give this person at least an interview, right? And then um, it worked out. It worked out. They were hired. And in the interim, um, we started talking about, oh, so you're new to Canada, and this is great. Love to have you on the team. And spouses working, a mechanical engineer working with a, a, um, you know, just as a logistics person at a, a company and no uh, no 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 those skills just so we started making connections in the community and now he's actually using his skills and they they've been here just over a year and those are the experiences as an employer i think i keep saying to an employer through the work that we do give new immigrants a chance they Absolutely. bring skills, they have lots to offer the organization. And if I were to turn around as a hiring manager in our organization and not value that same advice, where would we be today? And that person is one of our valued employees. And I'd hate, actually, I, I was almost going to lose her. And I said, no, please don't leave. I'm begging you. Please don't leave.
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, well, who doesn't our fund- love to hear
0: that? I know.
1: <laughs> and our funding is, is, it's precarious. We get funding on an annual basis. So I was asking her to take a big leap of faith on this organization. She did it. It paid off. And then somebody else, we've hired at least two or three people that were just fresh out of school. And um, it's like, you know what? I know they're going to leave us, but we need to give these young people a chance. We need to give them the experience. So as an employer, um, There are some tasks that we would need experience for. We need you to jump in and do this role really well. But there are some positions that we can let go of that need to have someone have experience and we be that training ground for them. And we've done that very successfully with a couple of our young people. And so we have a range of ages in in, in our workforce. We don't hire people based on gender. We don't, you know what I mean? We don't, we don't hire because of those things we hire because you've got the skill and based on your interview and your, your personality, you will fit the team and you will work with, and, and the additional pieces, you will bring those skills that we're lacking. Right. We have got a dynamic team, varied team. And, um, and what i like about that is i can i can say without a doubt that we as an organization practice what we ask employers to do in our in in hiring we offer training we have a very small budget andrew but one of the things that i've negotiated with our board over and over again is the training budget never goes away oh, and it's a small smart. budget but if every year we all take small learnings that help us do our jobs better can you imagine the value Um, that we're delivering to our community every single year we're growing as individuals. And so every year you should see better work coming from this organization.
0: Well, it's a, it's a double or triple bottom line. So you're, you're achieving your outcomes, you're investing in people. uh, People feel um, more engaged, more excited and then your retention rates uh, improve. And then, you know, that sort of, that collective capacity just delivers more output and i think that's it's really important and it's easy to forget you know we've been uh we've been doing a fair bit of work with uh businesses on helping recruitment and to try to find uh new sources of labor and i, I had an interesting conversation with uh, an employer recently uh who did a pretty big uh, um ad campaign, uh, around, uh, job seeking. And the feedback I received was, you know, we mostly received, uh, resumes from offshore, uh, or, uh, outside of Canada. And so it didn't deliver for us. And, you know, your, your conversation is making me think this conversation is making me think a little differently in that is sometimes there are opportunities there that we're just not seeing. Yeah. So, you know, my, my question to you is how, you know, Businesses that might not be used to hiring new Canadians or might not be tapped into the temporary foreign worker program or or understanding how to read a resume that comes from uh, halfway across the world and figure out how to identify those skills. You know, what's your advice on how to how to how to dig deeper there? to find yeah. talent.
1: So I think so so let's just talk about the offshore uh, uh, resumes that you get. And if an employer gets a resume that that talks about an express entry number, yeah. That's a valuable candidate. Okay. Because yes, because here's the deal. This has nothing to do with temporary foreign workers. What mm-hmm. it has to do is the way that the government allows permanent residents into the country. So, mm. what will happen is, as a as a, per, as a person seeking permanent residency in Canada, uh, in my home country, I have d- filled out, completed my express entry, and there are points associated with that individual. If you get a resume across your desk that is asking you to hire them, and they're laying out their skills, and many times it comes unsolicited, you may not have a job advertised or anything. Yeah. What they're asking to do is literally be your employee for at least 12 months. Because the uh, express entry, what happens is to add points to your application and uh, on a monthly basis, sometimes maybe quarterly, but Immigration and Refugee and Citizenship Canada, they have these express entry draws. And if the higher the your points are, you're going to get drawn to finish your application into Canada. If you as an employer have offered me, a resident of Trinidad and Tobago with an express entry, uh, a job, my application gets bumped to s- additional 600 points. Wow. With with the express entry system, within 12, within 12 months, you can have someone in your place working for you. And they are legally entitled to work in Canada. They bring all kinds of resources because one of the things to even... Um, qualify for express entry is higher levels of education and resources like money to look after your family when what when you come here. So they come with a lot of value and a lot of things to share with you as an organization. So I wouldn't put that aside too quickly. I would look and see if there are connections to what they are, what they have as skills and knowledge and why you might be able to use that in your company and really work towards hiring. The second place that employers might look for A workforce that is quite viable are those international students, Andrew, that -hmm. have completed their training in Canada. And very recently, the government also announced some, um, some expedited processes where they are allowing Canadian graduates, international graduates in Canada to apply for their, 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 permanent status in Canada. And uh, many of, a lot of that will go with a, a full-time job for 12 months. So, it, so you need, yeah, you need 12 months of employment. So you need a letter from the employer yeah. stating that they're offering you full-time employment. There are certain knock codes that go with it. So there's a little bit of, of yeah. massaging around this, but it's a great opportunity.
0: It is. People I, I are of,
1: stuck here. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, I know one of the challenges that uh, the tourism sector had, and I don't know if it's changed in Ontario, but there was certain knock codes that were, that were not uh, permitted. So you had yes. to be a, have a supervisory, management yes. position. I don't know if that's still the same. I know that's been an advocacy point to try to uh, find different pathways. Uh, yeah. Because sometimes, a, a, you know, an entry level job or a frontline job will lead to that supervisory yes. position, especially yeah. in tourism or or the service sector where there's s- such a, an opportunity for career growth. So I feel like there's still some tweaking for that policy. Yes. but. But, yeah, um, there
1: is still tweaking for that policy. And maybe now is a good time for some advocacy around. I think so. Uh, yeah. Um, because of those two factors, the thing we talked about earlier, that the temporary foreign worker applications are not really being approved at this time because of what was posted on their site.
0: That's going to be a big challenge for particularly in our Grey Bruce, Perth, Huron counties. Yep. That's going to be a big challenge. Agriculture, yep. uh, service sector. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I was on a call last night uh, around agriculture for another um, community, and that's exactly what we talked about. Agriculture is going to suffer significantly. Uh, when COVID hit a year ago, over a year ago now, people had already had their, their permits, and they were already entering Canada. Some had, some of it had already arrived. and uh, But now that everything is shut down, for instance, I know Trinidad and Tobago just completely shut down their entire, like the country's completely shut down. Because the cases are starting to mount the numbers are growing and so there won't be anyone leaving and there won't be anyone going in so so there again and if those uh, applications aren't being approved you have employers here who can't fill those jobs I'm, i'm actually concerned about our food supply because if we don't and the cost because if we don't have enough people to harvest and do all of those things we won't have as much and uh, there may be some some uh, resources that and costs will go up because it's costing em- employers and farmers more to do this work so i think that we could see that triple uh, that ripple effect happening throughout the region i think what i would say to employers is really have an open mind to the people that are already here
0: yeah that's a really good advice
1: how can you use their skills sometimes it, you may only have an entry level positions but position but depending on the length of their training their uh, international training they may have up to a 3 year work permit can you bring someone from entry level into a supervisory role for the last year of that work permit that allows them to then be gain permanent residency continue to work with you a lot of the 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 Add on effects of that is loyalty, because I'll tell you, yeah. I have been loyal to the employers that, that that have trusted me and given me a chance and uh, allowed me to help to to grow. And you know, I I've never stayed in a job for nineteen years. Andrew. <laughs>
0: Never. (laughs) It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare in our cohort for sure.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, I've done different roles, but the thing is to be with this small of an organization for 19 years. And every time I might consider leaving, the conversation at home is, are you sure?
0: (laughs) Yeah. This is, yeah. Yeah. Because the environment that you work in and your ability to make an impact and be supported matters probably, it's probably the most. Yeah. Really. Uh, you know this the discussion about the agricultural sector is an interesting one and it, it sounds to me that uh, in our region western southern Ontario I don't know how the best to best to define it but you know Bruce oh, sorry Bruce gray simcoe here on perth counties this whole sort of zone we're going to have to work together probably in a way we haven't before um you know if agricultural sector is going to be at a at a uh, significant loss of employees. If our own uh, tourism and service sectors are are challenged, we're going to have to be creative and think of different solutions. So I think, you know, the four county labor board can be a real partner in that. And I think we got, we have to, you know, come up with some, some new ideas and, and solutions. Are you, are, is there anything that's bubbling up right now that you're seeing that might be able to attract people who are looking to do things differently? Is there a working group? Is there some way to pull that together? Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Cundall and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, Matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.
1: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be convenient, comfortable. Ah. Um, I think there's a lot of work going on. And I know that the economic development group, uh, Great County Economic Development at the, the upper tier, they've been doing a lot of work around that attraction. Yeah. Um, we do need still to do, do some work around retention. I think we're getting better at that, but there's work to be done there still. I think we need to do some talking directly with those employers. And it could be, it could be those one on one, and it takes time to do one on one. But I think sometimes these big concepts and new ideas need to be talked about in a safe space. And employers yeah. need to be able to say what's on their mind and feel confident that it's, it's in a safe space. And then we'll we'll work out the, the, the solutions, right? And I think sure. that some of our so, so here's the other part that's affecting our, our workforce, Andrew, through all of the data, like we've got numbers and everything, but, but the story is this: women are most significantly impacted by this COVID-19, the pandemic, the shutdowns, the schooling at home. The, the lack of child not the lack of child care, but the fact that we are in yeah this...
0: unpack that a bit for me talk talk to us a little bit how women are being um, more impacted what are the some of the factors
1: yeah what what we've seen is that women are usually more so than 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 males are the the care providers and it could be care providers even in the sense of and we talked about this millennial and uh, and Gen X kind of the Gen X population in between that Caring for parents, caring for children, and we're in the middle of that piece, right? And so there's a lot going on. So it's I will actually uh, take it out of the, the caring for children, but the dependent care, right. whichever di- direction it leads us. And so since the women tend to be, and we know that we have lone single male parents, and they will be impacted as well. So, so those lone parents are impacted when children have to to, go, to be at school, at home. And so their ability to effectively do their jobs is a problem. So when we say to an employer, how flexible are you? Mm-hmm. You might be flexible in saying, okay, you can work from home. But that does that flexibility also roll into okay, you don't have to work from 9 to 5 or 8.30 to 5 or whatever our normal working hours are because that's the care time. That's the key time for us to be getting children breakfast, getting them online. Oh, they've got internet challenges. I need to be looking after that and and so on. How else might we be making this remote uh, opportunity for remote work more accessible to those impacted, mostly our females? They are making the decision to exit the labor force completely because it's too much to handle. And so if, as an employer, I value the skills that that employee brings, what do I need to think about that is the most valuable pieces to our organization? And so, for instance, if I have someone working part-time or full-time, but their job doesn't require public contact, I don't care when you do that job. You could do it at midnight when the children have gone to bed and you've, you've had some time. It could be done at two o'clock in the morning. If that's the best time for you to be creative as long as the job is done. So do we need to stop looking at hours people give us and say, I need this job done. Yeah. There, there are ways that we, I think the pandemic has just thrown us into this whirlpool of um, listen, you cannot you cannot sail the boat anymore in the direction that you wanted to because there's this huge whirlpool you're coming up or you're in right now. What do we need to change to re- to stay afloat?
0: Do you think it's a question of of mindset and reassurance, or is it a question of layering on a bit more uh, process and policy? So, if I give you, an, I'll give you an example. Sometimes I think w- what I observe is everyone's. Lack of comfort around working from home. And we're so mm-hmm. trained by the eight or nine hour workday or the seven and a half hour workday and being at your desk, taking a break, going for your lunch, that I think there's a lot of self imposed pressure uh, or just an old paradigm that drives our thinking. And so, what I've tried to do in our organization is to say to people on a regular basis, look, it doesn't matter what hours you work. You need to take care of your child today. You need to, uh, you know, take this day off and you need to, you know, work tomorrow evening, what, whatever. We're not, we're not concerned about the time you clock. We're concerned about the, the, the achievements that we do together. And so I've tried really hard to verbalize that and vocalize that versus create policies and processes. But I'm wondering, you know, do you think that that's going far enough right now? Or do we need to look at more creative processes to sort of make people feel more secure in that environment? Because I'm concerned. I don't I don't want team members to leave the workforce because they don't have that structure or they need more support. Yeah. So, you know, any advice on uh, how we could do that better or what you've seen that really works?
1: I'll tell you this. You have two types of employees, ones who can function with that knowledge that, hey, I can do my job whenever I need to, and I'll get it done. As managers or whomever is collecting that output, we'll see the achievements and the successes. And you do have some employees that need the structure. What we have found in one of the research pieces that we did around precarious employment and the worker impact survey that we did last fiscal year What we found out is that there are um, many people who are not comfortable working from home. And so they don't have confidence in their ability to work from home. And so offering it to them as an option, actually, I think it confuses the, the reality even more and it's more daunting for them. I think for some people, you need to put structure around it. And for some others, if we're going to say you work from home, and there are some others who just take it and run with it. And I have both in my employed and I have staff that we are essential because we provide training and we provide government services, but they, and they have the ability to work from home. We have provided them with the equipment they need to work from home. But some people like myself, I feel more productive when I'm in the office. I have everything I need and I'm able to not be distracted. I'm easily distracted (laughs) at home, Andrew.
0: (laughs) Yeah, many people are, right?
1: And so, but I'm also the person who at night, I like to relax. I like to watch a show. I like to do my own thing. So to be, to work from home for me is more a challenge and a struggle than it is for me to get up and come to work and I'll work late at night, but I'm doing it at the office if I have to. Right. So there, there are different ways that people are productive. And I think as employers, the biggest advice or direction I can give is be open to conversations with staff about what they need to be successful. And if you need to put it in policy so people can refer to it, don't make it so structured and so strict that there's no room for flexibility. And I think that we need some of this work needs to be done on -on one-on-one. A group of your staff, a few people will do one thing. And what we need to make sure is that everyone understands that everyone is doing the same thing with the same goals in mind. It doesn't matter if I do it at midnight and you do it from nine to five. Like if those things don't matter so much as yes, it's fair across the board, actually not fair, but equal. Yes.
0: I think that's a good distinction,
1: right? (laughs) Because fair is whatever, but equal is like, yes, everyone has the same parameters and everyone is doing, working towards the same outcome, how they get there is within their own sphere of delivery. And I think, yeah, we do need to understand that about our workforce. Before, when we were managing people all in the same location, all within the same time, all of the same, you take your break at this time, you take your lunch. That was easy for us as managers. It's easy. And it's easy for us to want to stay. It's comfortable for us to stay there. But I think right now with COVID-19, it has given us enough opportunity to try new things, and I think it's when we try new things, we realize, well, you, you discover what you didn't know, right? It's like, I never knew that about this individual, or I never knew that about our delivery process, or I never knew. And, and one of the things I can give as an example, our training, we've always provided in person. We felt that if we were preparing people for the workplace, then they needed to be in person and this is what they needed to do. And what we've found is we have a higher degree, we have a, a lower de- attrition rate with online training.
0: Interesting.
1: Yes. People are learning how to deal with their anxiety in a classroom setting through online learning because they're showing up, but they don't have to be immediately in this, be in the same space with, with strangers, Being if called
0: you called upon by the teacher. Yes. Of-
1: And so they're they're finding, we have had a lot of input from our participants over the last months that we've been delivering online learning, and we have noticed that our attrition is a lot lower. So we are now looking at how do we make sure that an online learning experience still prepares people effectively for going into a workplace? Because remember, we're not training people to fill positions that are virtual. We're filling in-person positions. So we do a lot more work around learning to deal with anxiety, putting things in place so uh, you know we have a lot of supports. If you need us to be there your first day, we can be there to coach and support you. But what we would like to say to employers is don't um, open up your minds to the ab- availability of that local labor market. Because you, Andrew, mentioned attainable and affordable housing. We have talked about uh, you and I and the team, the South Georgian Bay, the group about the, the fact that we need reliable and affordable transportation right. for people. And so let's ask our employers that when you're looking at how you'll meet your workforce needs, don't forget you've got a local workforce. And let's talk about what we can do as service providers, as ourselves, as a, you know doing a very specific program, but other employment service providers in our region. How do we work together to use the talents that exist or develop the talents that you need within our community? And I think that the loyalty that we will build with that particular workforce, listen, we've had people say, thank you for giving me a chance. This is the first thing I've completed in my entire life. You know, we have some people who've never completed high school. They've never been told, yes, you can do this. And when they finish our program, they're brought to tears because they they've never accomplished something that said you you've done this right and and then they go out and they get a job and they are able to keep that job for years we've got a few people from our very first cohort we did for hospitality and tourism still working with the with the same employer it's amazing we've got the same thing when we did manufacturing and these are individuals who told us if it wasn't for this program or this training or this trust or the things that you've given me as skills, I would not have been able to secure and retain this job. And so as employers, keep that open mind because even if somebody's resume came across your desk and it was, and you've interviewed them and it was a horror show (laughs) and you did not, you didn't think that, you know what, some people are ready to change and they're ready to learn and they're ready to, to give it another go. And I would like to see to employees, let's do that together. Let, let us as a community, the work that you do in combination with the work that service providers in our region do, let's work together to get our local individuals sustainable Yeah, in our community.
0: And the thing is, there's so much opportunity in the, the sectors that you've mentioned, uh, and there's so much need. So it seems like it's an obvious solution. And yet, It doesn't rise to the top of the priority list for a lot of employers. Why do you think that is? Is it just that we're sort of hardwired to look for specific skills and we just, we have a bit of tunnel vision?
1: I think so, Andrew. When we look at our hiring managers, you know, they are usually people who have gone through a, a specific process and this is what we know and this is how we've always done it. And unfortunately, and we've had success, remember, we've had success doing it this way. But now that we're having greater struggles. And you know, we talked about we were talking about struggles that we're experiencing within COVID, but some of these struggles existed before COVID, right? For sure. We could not find people in our local labor market before COVID. We were a four point nine percent. At one point, we were two point nine percent unemployment rate. And
0: I know it's it's unheard of.
1: And we had and we had jobs that were being advertised. So so when we start to, the people that we work with as, as an organization but other service providers as well are some of those people have not been engaged in the labor market so they're not counted right. in our unemployment rates so when we look at the unemployment rate as 2.9% now we're at 6.3% currently some those are that's not even looking at the people who are not engaged in the labor market people who we can tap into by giving them skills Making sure that they meet, I mean, making sure that they meet what the employers are looking for, but then the employer willing to give them a chance, even if they don't have a work history or if they've had a poor work history or a bad reputation and all the things that come with living precariously, then we need to give people a chance. As an employer, how many times, I don't know, Andrew, I know you do because you you think this way, but how many times would an employer think about the person who just couldn't make it into work today, not because they are they have a poor work ethic. Something happened that was beyond their control. And when you are living precariously, other things like your family safety and those things are priority, even as much as earning a living. But when something happens, you, you've got to deal with it. Many of us have networks. I can call on I have somebody I can depend on. If I can't get this done, he's there. Make sure we we coordinate schedules. There are some people in our community that don't have that network. And so when something happens, they resolve it themselves. And so they can't come to work, resolve it. And then really, can we be a little bit more lenient, but allow people to grow? Yeah, grow within. Yeah. And
0: I think sometimes it's, it's remembering that as an employer, you might be that only support network that that person has and how you interact with this individual could make or break their experience so you could literally be that that turning point for that individual by providing support and i think it's important to remember that i i have experienced that along the way personally as a youngster who needed some guidance my management career many times i have been very patient with individuals and i've had colleagues who say andrew you're being too soft you're you know you got to be tougher But what I have found is at the end of the day, it's tougher to be patient. You're being tougher by being patient and by actually providing the care and the time to work with people. And and, and it does drive better results, but it's a paradigm shift in your thinking.
1: Yeah. And some people have never had that. And once they experience it, you have got that person in the palm of your hands forever because they've never been trusted before. They've never been given a second, third, fourth, fifth chance before. And I mean, I'm saying all of this with limitations, like you don't keep giving and giving without realizing that this is not going to work out. So, so of course we make those decisions, but I think our first, I would like our first response to be, well, let's see, let's, let's try to work this out. And I recently had a youngster who I spoke with and he had some issues and he had just started his job. It wasn't even, he didn't even finish his three month probation And there was an issue with transportation. He couldn't go to work for a week. And and I'm like, oh my gosh, does that mean you're going to lose your job? And and he was looking for housing. There was a lot going on for stabilization for this person. He needed to give references for housing. And he gave his employer, said, yes, I would do it. His manager said, yes, I would be. And then whoever else he gave. And they made one call and that was to the employer. And the employer vouched for him. And the landlord called him right away and said, We've spoken with your employer. The, the apartment is yours. So check mark. Perfect. That was off. Yeah, right. Then he went on to work with the transportation. Within a week, he had transportation and his housing was secured. He had a friend he could stay with until he could move. All of those things fell into place. And then he went back to work the following week. And then he he said, and I was called into the office. And I was just like, What did I do? Like. I don't, I didn't, I can't, I don't remember doing. So this is him going into the office, right? I don't remember. I didn't do anything. I think everything's okay. I wonder why they're calling me into the office. Well, they called him into the office, Andrew, first of all, to give him a raise. It's not even three months yet. Amazing. They gave him a raise and then they said to him, we're looking at doing an expansion of our business. And it was a small business, seven or eight employees, and they're looking to do an expansion and they're looking at him. lead the expansion because he's such an amazing worker. Now, this is all happening for somebody who has had a lot of obstacles in their life, right? And here's a person who doesn't even know you, except for the last six weeks or so, taking a chance on you. And trust me, that person is loyal. They show up every day. They stay long and they do what needs to be done. Because I remember talking to them and saying, uh, I said, oh, I didn't even get lunch today till 1.30 because we just had to get this job done, right? So when employers go outside of those, those um, guideposts, like three months probation, you better show up every day, you better do this, you better do that before we will trust that you're a good employee. How can we, by what we're doing, build trust in that employee just organically from the, from day one, we're not waiting for you to prove yourself for three months. We're just trusting that you're going to be on a good employee until you prove differently.
0: Well, it's like the system is set up in a way to filter people out at the beginning, instead of layer them up, you know? And I think that's probably the, the, the shift, you know, I'm going to ask you a question. One of the things that I personally find so frustrating when you're working in economic development or you're working on uh, the the types of of workforce and economic growth strategies that we have been. So whether it's, you know, finding pathways for attainable housing, whether it's uh, getting training programs in your community, or whether it is expanding transit and work expense or or, uh, transportation and labor mobility, there will be folks in the community who will take a look at that and will say some of the following things. Well, business should do that on their own. Well, these industries aren't good employers. We want higher paying jobs and we want more professional sectors. We don't believe that tourism or restaurants or retail is is valid. And then you compare that and contrast that with the experiences that we've been talking about in terms of how we as sectors work so closely with people to grow, improve, and expand. So you know, my question to you is: when you're when you're when you're talking to the general public about the impact of workforce development and the impact of these sectors like manufacturing, like retail, like service, uh, you know, h- how do you reconcile that point of view? And what would you say to people who who truly need to get more education on on what employers do to support the community?
1: Hmm. Say that again, Andrew, in a different way. So
0: the question I would ask you is, I think the work that employers do in supporting their employees is undervalued. And I think sectors like tourism, the service sector, manufacturing, are sometimes looked upon as not being very good employers or, or not providing the kinds of opportunity that other sectors provide. So, you know... How do we how do we get the message out to people that uh, the, these work environments at value support people's lives?
1: When we hear about these jobs and and people, we, we hear that a lot about how employers in those realms, particularly in hospitality and tourism, you know, service sector jobs and, and not so much entry level manufacturing because they pay at a different level. I think what we need to reconcile ourselves with is the fact that we need all of these jobs in our community yeah. if we were a community of professional technical services only how does that what does that community look like to you we don't have restaurants we don't have anyone making anything so we have to import everything so just think of that community yeah. right now
0: it's not very diverse
1: and not very diverse. Even if it's not very diverse, then you are paying a lot of money for things that you don't necessarily need to because nothing is being made in your community. And we can throw our agricultural sector into that as well. Right. And so I think what we need to to make sure we're talking to people about is that when you and, and, and I think this is the disconnect with people entering the labor market and thinking that they're supposed to be making top wages the day that they enter, because these are the conversations we're having. We need to have conversations about career, career laddering. We need to have conversations around starting, even in manufacturing, starting in hospitality and tourism, whether it's a hotel, a restaurant and growing your skills and then getting to that next level. There are, there's every level. Interestingly enough, there's every level
0: in every sector, every
1: sector, Because nobody walks in at the top unless you are coming from the top of your organization somewhere else. So what we need to be talking about is career laddering. We need to help employers consider how they will grow their staff from within. And I think that's a really important conversation that we need to be having with employers when we talk about the opportunities they provide in the community, right? So we're having a dual conversation where we're saying to employers, whenever we need to hire someone at a a more skilled position, semi-skilled position. I'm looking at people in my organization that have demonstrated the ability, the capability, and maybe the passion for that new position. I would say to them, you know, this is either coming open or it will be open. Would you like to consider doing that? What skills do we need to look at you growing to take that position? And I've done that many times over the years. And I've had people say, you know what? I love what I do. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to do anything else right now and so that's fine then we hire from outside so i think we need to help employers think about how they're going to do that internal movement so people when we talk about somebody entering a restaurant as a server or even at as a bus bus person you know doing those jobs but then if it's something you love and some people enter it as a make money to do other things and then I'll do something else Some people do want to be in that that industry forever. And how do we help them? Oh, wow, you've demonstrated really well in the last six months or whatever doing this. I've even seen you take the initiative of doing a different job. Let's get you some training doing that. Let's get you your smart serve. Let's get you your safe food handling. Let's get you these things. And all of a sudden, you're going to show that there's that career path. Then, oh, you want to work in the kitchen? Let's start you as this. Let's do this. You're cutting vegetables, you're doing this. And then you're growing that person's skill. And I think the conversations we need to be having is there are entry level positions in every sector. How do you, where do you want well, where do you want to enter? It takes training, it takes knowledge, all those things. And if you can't afford it right away, then enter at the entry level position. I, I someone told me once, and I don't want to be, and I don't want to be rude about it, but I remember when we were being coached around our finances and we were a young family, and we were not doing well at all. And one of the things our coaches said to us, listen, if you guys can't live on $500 a month, you can't live on $5,000. And I know it sounds silly saying 500 to $5,000. But what it was telling us is we need to work within, like that whole budgeting, and we need to work with what we've got, but continue to build. And I'm not saying... That as a way of teaching people. But what I'm saying is we need to start somewhere and we need to have a plan and we need to follow that direction. And that plan sometimes comes from someone saying to us, Wow, you're doing really well here. I can see you doing this job. And, and you know, that coaching piece, right?
0: Those employers that understand that and provide those opportunities and actually work with their teams to, Explore those career paths to learn while working. I think those are the ones that have such an opportunity to improve their retention, to grow their business. Exactly. And so yeah. the way I see it is, an employer and employee are partners in growth. And I think that's uh, you know what I know from my experience in tourism, retail, service sector is that the the pathways are numerous. So getting people to understand that, and and for us. Working in this field every day to 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 realize that there there's so many different ways we could invest more fully to help realize that is an opportunity. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think that those are the messages that I'd like to see when we work. In fact, we just had a comment, the very comment that you made about there are no opportunities because we have you know we have our connected skills in hospitality and tourism, and as we're advertising to do intakes, I had someone put. You know, there are no opportunities or it's a horrible industry. And I said to them, I said, actually, it's not. We have had some wonderful success. And I said, it's very unfortunate that you've had a bad experience, you know? And then they talked about whatever. And I said, it's unfortunate that you had an employer that you had that bad experience, but there are many amazing employers out there in this sector because we don't want people to go on that message thinking that all employers who hire within hospitality and tourism or, my, or or operate within that are terrible employers. In fact, I think most of them, when I hear from employers that are heartbroken because they can't bring their staff back because the restaurant, just as they were getting ready to open, is now closed and you know all of these things, it breaks my heart. And you cannot tell me that that as an employer who is going to treat their staff poorly. That's right. It's an employer, and we also have to consider. I think there's a feeling out there that if you own a business, you're automatically making money, and so if you're paying me whatever minimum wage or whatever that is, that you're 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 not being fair. Not that people need to understand the business side of everything, but people need to think about other things. You know, if I have to run a business, there's a lot more investment on that end, right? Absolutely. And I think employers who can pay more generally do we have had employers within hospitality and tourism andrew that we've worked with that don't pay minimum wage they pay more oh, than minimum of course they wage. do yeah they
0: have to it's so t- it's so competitive well it's funny i was looking at your uh, the research that you've done on the labor market plan and when you yes. when you look at a bunch of sectors most of them so if you look at uh, recreation you look at r- retail tourism if you look at manufacturing and there's a few others we're indexing in our region at a higher percentage than the province in terms of wage growth. So, you know, the the numbers are sort of showing that. I think we still have a way to go to maybe equal say a Toronto market or or another market. My my question to you is that growth arc, what is that what what, what do you see that being driven by? Is that the labor scarcity? Is it employers wanting to invest more? Are we playing catch-up?
1: I think it's a combination of employers really looking at two things scarcity and retention. It is much more expensive to hire new people every year than it is to be able to keep the ones that you've already. There's there's a there's already a knowledge base built up, you want to bring that experience back. And so I think employers are really looking at first of all the scarcity in our region and it will become worse now that With COVID and recovery though, Andrew, when we looked at recovery in our sectors, accommodation and food services as a sector within hospitality and tourism economy has rebounded and quite well. And when we started pre COVID, we were, we lost 9,000 employees uh, through that COVID period between February and December of 2020. And by December of 2020, so we lost at the beginning, you know, between March and so on. And by December, we were almost back up to pre-COVID levels. We were at 8,600. So we know that people still want to, first thing, people still want to work in the economy of hospitality and tourism, in, in accommodation and food services. There are opportunities out there. So that's what we do know. And when you look at our... So the opportunities exist within the four-county region. When you look at our Connect to Jobs website, Jobs Aggregator, we now have a sector library. And it shows the number of jobs that are advertised for any one sector. And I'll tell you, accommodation, food services, retail, arts rec, and culture, those are all coming in at really high numbers. So people, there are still so many opportunities in our region. And still keeping that in mind, we're almost back to pre-COVID levels, which is amazing for us. And I, I say it's amazing, but I also recognize that there are some businesses that didn't make it through through this whole pandemic. So I, I don't want to be remiss in not recognizing that that has happened as well. well. I
0: noticed that in the data set that there was bigger contraction in in solely owned and operated businesses. That so the, obviously in in that scale of business, the pressures were were much higher.
1: And that's one of our labor markets that we see precarious employment exists, that self-employed sole proprietorship kind of thing. But the second thing I wanted for us to observe about that is, although we are almost back up to pre-COVID levels before this third shutdown, that is, we still had job opportunities that were going unfilled in our region. So keeping that in mind, that the jobs that are being advertised right now is really to kind of get caught up from where we were where we lost in COVID. But even before that, we had jobs that were going unfilled. And the job vacancy rates are something that we need to pay attention right. to and, and look at what's driving our economy. And I think if we were looking at how, and, and back to the question around economic development and conversations and schools, yeah. we need to really look at what does our economy support So we can make sure that people are being trained because the worst thing you want, you want is the last thing you want is someone going off to be trained in an industry that isn't supported by our economy. And then we lose, we can't even invite them back to our region because they now no longer fit what the economy is looking for. So making those connections to what is available in our economy locally and Making sure that our youth know where the opportunities exist and and for those youth who can't go right off to college or university, the stat is somewhere around ninety percent of high school grade twelve students will tell you they're going off to college or university and I would say i don 't know, maybe thirty of them actually
0: do wow, so it 's a big difference between plans and actual
1: yes and, and, and some of it has to do with finances, some of them just can't afford it some of them maybe have said it because that's what was expected. And, and some of them just really didn't have a plan, right? And so what we want to say to all of our youth is, here's where you can start and here's where you might be able to end up. And, and typical example, we had a young lady, I know of a young woman who did her co-op at a local dress shop, let's say and really loved the experience, went off to do fashion and that training at college, running a business, fashion business, came back and at 23, I think, bought the business from the owner.
0: Wow. I love hearing stories like that.
1: Yes. So it's, and she's still running a very, very successful business. And I've known her for, since I've been working at this organization. So 20 years later, she's still running a very successful and she's an astute businesswoman. And so when we engage our youth into the entry-level positions of our organizations and retail, hospitality, retail, accommodation, food services, those businesses are the ones that are the backbone to our economy. That's right. When you think about it, if we don't have that retail downtown, what are we going to do in our community? Right. We don't have
0: a real estate market. We don't have a market for extended services. It it really is our foundation. Absolutely. And I think.
1: No, and I was just going to say, so we need to make sure that people understand how the economy works and how everything we can't go advocating for one particular type of business or sector and leave everything else unattended because we will do a disservice to and anything can disrupt that. Right. Who would have thought that we would be here today? Pandemic has shut us all down. We need to think about how we support our foundation in our community, in our economy, and then we build up from there. But the thing is, you don't break away the foundation when you're building up, right? That's right. right.
0: You have to rely on it and support it.
1: You have to rely, yeah, and you have to make it strong before the rest can grow. And so I think we need to, to look at it differently, really.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And I think what you've provided us today, Gemma, Is some really good advice on how we can be a part of that. And I think it starts with looking within as employers, understanding that we probably have a bit more influence and power than we realize, in that we have people that we work with every day who can be trained, supported, developed, and we can grow together. And we have to take chances, be more creative in hiring people who have had barriers to employment give people chances. And uh, and then I think the other thing that really stands out for me from this conversation is how at a cross-sectoral level, we all have to work together. So agriculture, manufacturing, tourism, retail, real estate, and finding ways for us to learn from each other. I think that's going to engage everyone in making sure we have the most robust recovery we can.
1: I was at a retirement event recently. And that's one of the things that one of the people on the event said, you know, it's about this siloing. We have been so proprietary in the way that we do business and the way that we're thinking. I think we need to let go of that and start sharing. Sharing in, in the point of view that maybe my experience and what I've done will help your business and uh, help you be a stronger business in our community. Because really, that's what we should all be working towards. But the thing, the way that you operate, and some of your processes that make you a successful business, I think that it's time to share. It's time for us to share and help others be as successful in our community, even if they are. What's the word? Coopetition.
0: <laughs> Coopetition, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it works. It, at the end of the day, it works, and I think that's the thing we have to we have to remember. Thank you so much for your time today, Gemma. Y- Your organization provides so much support and opportunity. And I'm wondering for those listening, how how can they get in touch with you? How can they reach out to the Fort County Labor Market Planning Board?
1: We are on the web with planningboard.ca and all of our reports are listed there. You can take a read. If you see anything of interest, please call us at 888-774-1468 is our toll free number. And it's probably the best way to get a hold of us. Executive director at planningboard.ca. If you wanted to get a hold of me and say, I'm crazy, you're crazy, <laughs> <laughs> you can do that too, because I might be crazy, but I have some winning ideas. You
0: sure do. And, you know, on behalf of the whole, you know, Blue Mountain Village community, I want to thank you for your partnership over the years. You've been a central force in our labor supply task force, and y- you have brought us a concept that has really shaped how we do our business and that is you bring data to the table and you encourage us to be driven by data. So we've talked a lot about soft stuff today, but the truth of the matter is it's all driven by data and you do such a good job of that. And I just want to thank you on behalf of, of the whole community for the great work that you do. And I don't think we would be the successful community we are without that support. So I encourage everyone listening today, reach out to Gemma take advantage of some of the opportunities and resources they have they're they're a really strong support partner
1: Thanks for listening to Blue Mountain Village Voices a production of the Blue Mountain Village Association For more go to bluemountainvillage.ca A production of the Sound Off Media Company